episode 102 takes off now. Hi, my name is Greg Brown, and I'm a captain on the Airbus A340 uh, flying long haul at the moment. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. First off, I want to say thank you so much for listening to these episodes. Throughout the month of March, we have released nine podcast episodes, including this one. Some of them have been on the bailout. Some of them have been on the state of the industry, airspace, just everything that's going on with coronavirus. And you all have listened. Oh my gosh, you have listened. Thank you so much. We should reach close to 80 to 85,000 downloads this month, which will be by far the best month we've ever had. My crazy goal for this year was to reach 100,000 downloads in one month, and we are pretty close. So go ahead and share it. Let's try to get it. Let's go crazy. Share it with everyone you know and listen and download as many times as you can. Aviation today I am talking with a level flyer on Instagram, also known as Greg Brown. I've tried to get him on the podcast for about a year now, and we finally set it up to make it work. It's funny how these schedules work out, but he used to work for Wow Air. If you don't remember Wow Air, it went out of business last year. And I reached out to him immediately and I uh, was recommended actually to talk to him and just talk about his experience at Wow Air and what it was like to be working for a company when it was in its last few days, last few months, and just how they handled it. Now, he actually loved flying for Wow Air, so it was really interesting to hear him talk about Wow and hear about kind of the last days and what he is doing now. We also get into how to kind of pick yourself up from this and how to get a new job, how to position yourself to be the best possible pilot you can and get get your next dream job. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes so close to 500. Remember, once we reach 500 reviews, I think we're like two away. So it's going to happen after this episode. I'm giving away five shirts. So I'll just pick five random reviews on here and they will be sent shirts. And I'll probably read them out, do a reveal on Instagram or something like that. But anyways, leave us a review. Follow us on Instagram at Pilot Pilot. You can check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Pilot Pilot and check out our website, pilotthepilothq.com. Aviation, I don't want to take up any more of your time. So without any further ado, here's Greg Brown. Greg, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, Justin, how you doing? Good, man. I wish there was a better term surrounding the aviation industry, but I think in times like this, it's still important to kind of have like a lighthearted conversation about your story and offer some inspiration because eventually this will pass and eventually people will still want to get in aviation and see how great our career is. So I'm excited to talk with you and we have been in contact for, it's probably been a year now, right? The first time I reached out to you about coming on the podcast. Yeah, I think so. Um, it was around the time Wow Air was coming to an end. Um, and we really enjoyed the last part of Wow Air, as I'm sure you've seen on Instagram. Absolutely. You guys look like but, you had fun there. Yeah, we did. It was, it was a really awesome place to work um not because of the finances but because of the atmosphere and the people they chose to work for them um they had a selection of people that were extrovert and outgoing and so it was it made an amazing dynamic not just for customers but also for uh, as a work environment you know Absolutely. And it does come down to the people that make the airline, you know, like you can hire anyone, but if you hire the right people, you're going to have a good airline to work for. 
Absolutely. And if I ever get into the position where I can hire people and I can uh, actually have a, a, a some sort of a say on who I hire, I would probably try and follow the wowware philosophy because when you have people that are outgoing and people that are more uh, willing to, or people that are more people focused, they're more willing to, to, to do more for the company and the company is in a nice place. And up till the very end, I think everybody in, in, in wow, um, did a hundred, a hundred, a hundred percent or 110% for the company, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And that's kind of rare these days. Like you get a lot of people that hate the company they work for, hate the company that they fly for, and they don't want to do anything to help them out. So finding that is rare. It's a shame that they, they couldn't figure out a way to, to get more finances and try to find a way to, to get it back up and running. But we can talk more about that later. I kind of want to focus more on you and how you got into aviation right now. Yeah, well, um, it was, I suppose when I was, was six years old, I was brought to an air show in Dublin. I grew up in Dublin in Ireland. Um, nobody in my family had any interest or any involvement in aviation. Um, and I remember we were driving from um, my parents' house to a family member's house and a, a jet flew over the main road. We were driving down and I was only about six or seven. And I said to my parents, I said, where's that? And they said, oh, it's, it's an air show that's on at the moment. Do you want to go? And I said, yes, bring me. So we went down to um, the Irish military airfield called Baldonnell. It's the, probably the biggest, uh, one of the biggest or the only airfield in Ireland that's purely military uh, nowadays. And they had an air show on. And this is in the late 80s. And they had all sorts of different aircraft and um, aircraft flying and mostly jets. And for me, I uh, was mesmerized by the, the these planes flying over. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. And so that's where it started for me. I was just mesmerized by aircraft and the noise and the, the, the smell of the fuel and everything. And that was, I was probably six or seven around that stage. And so then it progressed while I was in school. Uh, my parents uh, bought me model airplanes like Airfix. I don't know if you have those in the States, do you? Like the plastic I don't know. We might. We have uh, kind of like plywood models that you could build. And then they also have some other, I'm sure we do. I just was never, These, I don't know if I did yeah, it. Yeah. Air, Airfix is like, um, maybe it's a European thing. It's like a plastic um, molded aircraft, model aircraft, which you can stick together and then you paint it at the end and you have like a little model basically when it's finished. I'm trying but, to look uh, it up right now. I, th I think, yeah, I think we do have them here. So yeah, we. I, I didn't use them, but I'm sure people have. I just looked at their website. That is a thing for sure. <laughs> Oh, so there you go. Um, so I was making those and um, they don't fly. They're like fixed. To, they're just display models and they don't fly. So there's only so far I could get with that. And then I wanted to build model airplanes so they could actually fly. So um, we, I, I worked in a, when I was about 13 or 14, I worked part time in a bar beside where we used to live Um we didn't, we didn't, I didn't live in an area that was very nice. It wasn't a really nice area. We didn't have very much money. So in order to buy the model airplanes, I had to work for them. So um, I worked in a bar collecting glasses, basically, um, in a place called Drimna, where I grew up. And um, 
I got some money together and built a model airplanes that could actually fly or seaplanes, basically. And uh, from there then, um, my parents knew that I really liked airplanes. Uh, I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to fly them myself yet. I still didn't have... Um, I didn't know if I had the motivation or the the maturity to actually fly airplanes at this stage. So um, when I was 14, 15, uh, my parents for my birthday bought me a flying lesson. And it uh, was in an airfield in Dublin called Weston, which was a grass strip at the time. And I think it was in a Robin. The airplane was a Robin. Um, and up to this stage, I had spent... Uh, my pocket money on the airplanes that I could actually build myself, like the Balsa airplanes, like uh, light wood airplanes. And they um, fed my desire for flying up until this stage. And then I'd also spent money on the PPL books for learning actually how to fly a real plane. And I had studied these inside out, um, I suppose, two years before I actually got on to a real airplane when my parents bought me this uh, flying lesson in in, in West. Um, so we off we went uh, during the summer um, when I was 14 or 15 out to this airfield called Weston and um, we, the whole family went out. I mean, my granny was there, my parents were there, my granddad was there. Um, it was like a huge occasion. Oh, he's going to go and fly in, in a small airplane. So we went probably out. freaked out for your safety, right? Say again? So they're probably freaked out for your safety. Like, that's my little boy going Pro- up. Probably, probably. But um, I remember it was like a porter cabin set up. It was a small, very small airfield at the time. Now it's quite big. They take small jets like yours in there and stuff like that and business jets. Um, but they, we went in the Robin instructor said to me so if you you know how it works and i said yeah i've read all the books i know i pull back it goes up push down it goes down left and right okay well you're going to take off so when i tell you he said when i tell you to pull back on the stick you pull back on the stick and i said okay and down we went grass strip and pulled back on the stick and i was just mesmerized by it i was in awe of of basically how uh how, how the thing went. Um, so that was when I was like 14 or 15. And then I, I went into school. I was in school obviously at this time, but I, I finished school is what I should have said. And, um, we, during actually school, when I was 16, there was a TV show. I don't know if you've ever had something similar in the States, but there was a TV show here in Ireland called Echo Island. And it was like a, it was a children's TV show where they basically, made uh, TV programs, but they also did this feature where you could write in and tell them what you want to do when you're older and they will make it happen for you now. So I wrote in, I said, uh, yeah, I really want to be a pilot. There's a police helicopter that flies over my house and um, they are always flying over my house and over my area and it's a new police helicopter. Is there any chance I could have a look at it because I really want to be a pilot? And I really want to fly. So I got a letter back to say, sorry, uh, we can't do anything, but we'll keep you on file, blah, 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 blah. And then about six months later, we get a phone call and they said they would uh, do a piece with me uh, and the 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 police, the Garda, as they're called in Ireland, would take me up in the helicopter and uh, fly me around and give me a look at the uh, how the system works. So you can 
you can imagine uh, it was on it was on national TV as well, and uh, I got to go for a ride in a brand new police helicopter. They flew over my house, they flew over my school. It was all on TV, and for me, that really cemented what I wanted to do when I was older. Um, so yeah, it was really cool. Absolutely, um, that is so cool. I wish I had an opportunity like that <laughs> as a young kid I to go just, do that. I was just looking, but I think I, Ireland is quite small as well. Like we four million people now, so I think. Uh, um, the chances when you ride into a TV show like that uh, with something as specific as I had, it sort of stands out maybe a little bit. And so I was quite lucky. I'm yeah. sure that the, uh, the the pool of people probably that wanted to do something cool like that were very small. Whereas in the United States, there might be a little bit more people begging to, to get a free or to get a cool little helicopter ride on the police copter. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And I, I actually look on, the other way, everything's online now. I can never find the video. I've always been looking online to see if it was there. So if anybody ever has a copy of it, it was Echo Island and it was around 1998, I would say. Send it my uh, way, please. Send it my way. Yeah. That's hilarious. That's so cool. So you had, um, so when in like 14 years old around that area, you took your first fixed wing plane ride and then you talked to your, you literally talked your way into getting a free helicopter ride. That's <laughs> yes, so cool. Exactly. Which one did you like better? Did you have a preference of which one you liked? Um, I had a, I had an old flight instructor and he, he was a helicopter pilot and he used to say, you fixed wing limited pilots. And he was talking about the fit we're limited because we fly fixed wing. I think the fixed wing, because I had more control over it, you know? Um, but the heli was definitely cool and was something I'll always remember. And it was something that really did, um, change my perspective on, on, on what I wanted to do going forward. So, um, that was Around, uh, so I think I was probably sixteen or seventeen, maybe when I when I got that ride in a helicopter. And I was in school at the time, and usually we finish school here. I think when we're eighteen, um, we called school like I don't, I don't know how it worked in the states. Maybe you can help me out. But here we call we we do school until we're eighteen, and then we go to uh, like a college or a second level education. Uh, sometimes yeah, it's pretty the same similar. The yeah, so we have like elementary school, middle school, high school. By the time you're 18, yeah. most people graduate from high school to go to university. It. So it's pretty similar. Uh, yeah. So basically, I finished high school um, or the Irish equivalent of it, and I, I, I hated school. I really hated school. Um, I, I think probably I wasn't focused on what I really wanted to do. And this is what I get back to the maturity thing about flying. <laughs> Back back then, I didn't have the majority to focus on what I wanted. I knew I wanted to be a pilot, but I just couldn't see how focusing in school would help me. So I didn't do very well in high school, um, if the truth be told. In fact, I nearly dropped out of high school and one of my best friends convinced me to stay. He said, you need to stay. If you drop out of high school now, you won't get any further. And I said, okay, I'll stay. Uh, and I stayed. So um, I remember going to my uh, career advice teacher in the school I went to and he said, what do you want to do, Mr. Brown? And I said, well, I really want to be a pilot. And he laughed and he said, he said, with your, with your um, scores in your exams, there's no way you will ever be a pilot. So pick something more realistic. And I said, okay, well, I really want to be a radio presenter. And he said, well, maybe you could do that. So this is when I was in school. I, I, I suppose just as I left high school um, or secondary school, as we call it in Ireland, 9-11 um, had happened. Um, 
the year later. And so there was no jobs in aviation. There was nothing in aviation. People were being fired and people were being let go. And um, so I went into a career in radio as a radio presenter um, and making radio ads and jingles and stuff like that and it used the creative side of my brain, which I think I was probably more suited to back then. So I did that for until I was about 24. Um, and then that was that was 2006, 2007, maybe. Um, I don't think the year really matters, but uh, my mother, I came home from work. I was working in a radio station, a local radio station and um, in Ireland. And I, I just was fed up. I wanted to fly. I had realized at this stage, I was about 23 or 24, that I really, really wanted to fly. And I wanted to, to, to make a career of it. And my mother said to me, well, why don't you go and see which flight schools there are and what the options are and come back to me. And I said, oh yeah, mom, but it's, I said, it's really expensive, really expensive. There's no, um, scholarships really nowadays. And she said, well, don't let money stop you doing what you want to do. And I said, but we don't have it. And she said, well, just go and see how much everything is and we'll take it from there. So I did my research and uh, this is, I get a lot of messages on my Instagram from people who want to be pilots and they send me messages and they say, um, how do you get into it? What's the best way to do it? And what schools would you recommend? And I think you really need to be focused and you need to be able to do all that research yourself. If you really want the job bad enough, you should be able to do that yourself. I, I don't mind people messaging me and I help people a lot, but if you really, really want something, you have to do the work yourself and you have to look into it, I think. Absolutely. So from I love you, that you said that. <laughs> would you agree? Would Absolutely, you agree? 100%. If this is something that you really want, I mean, you can ask other people, that's great, but at some point you're going to have to put the time in to see what route is best for you. Because even if you listen to the podcast, you talk to other people, everyone has a different way of doing things. Like things work different for different people. So you can't mask your career off someone else. It's not going to work out. You're going to have to adapt and figure out how to do it best and tailor it to how you learn and how you want to do your career. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, when you when you do the research yourself, it, it, you're motivating yourself. You know that you are into it. You know that you want it. It's very easy just to say to somebody, how do I become a pilot? Right. You know, you have to really research it yourself. So um, I did. I, I, I looked at all the different schools um, in Europe. I don't know what it's like in the States, but I'm sure it's pretty similar to here. You have two options. You either do a modular route where it's a self-study and it's cheaper, but it takes longer. It could take two and a half or three years. You have you sit down, you study yourself, you do everything yourself, you do it all from home, and you, then you go to some classes uh, as well, and then you do your exams Um or you can do it in an integrated way, which is the way I thought was best for me. It's where you're basically sitting down in a classroom, you leave, you go to the school for, for 14 to 16 months and you sit in the classroom and a teacher spoon feeds you everything. And me being naturally a little bit lazy, that probably would have suited me better. So, <laughs> <laughs> same. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's it's. I think it's a little. It was a little bit more expensive. Um, in doing my research, I I looked 
not only for what I thought was the best school, but also the school that would get me a job at the end of it all. And at the time, Aer Lingus, which is the Irish national airline, it was basically sending their cadets to um, FTE, the school that I picked in, in, in the south of Spain, flight training Europe. So I said, well, look, if, if, if the national airline is selling their cadets or has sent their cadets to this school, it must be good. And so I went back to my mother and I said, hey, mom, I said, this school is really good, but it's really expelled, expensive. What should we do? And um, we were very, very lucky. It was before the financial crash. My my mother decided that she was living alone in, in a four bedroom house. She decided she it was too big for her. And she said, well, I'm going to downsize my house and maybe we can organize the finance by by rearranging it and, and getting a loan for you. And that's how lucky I was. I was so lucky that I, I could do that. And um, to have my mother to, to, to be able to support me in that way, it was just... I, I was, yeah, so so blessed. That's incredible, man. It's a, it's something to say in this career where you're like, you need help. At some point, you're gonna need help, whether it's financially with loans or a loved one or family member or friend or whatever it is, or just with studying and reaching out to people. Like we said, asking questions. I know we did talk about how you need to do the work on your own, but it's still good to reach out because everyone has had someone make a sacrifice for them to get this career to get to where they are today. It's a it's a family, and it's kind of like. You're raised by a town almost. You're raised by your family. You're raised by the people in aviation, and you're you. It's just incredible, and that's amazing that your mom was able to do that and make that sacrifice for you. Yeah, I was just incredibly lucky, and and I'm forever grateful. And you know, uh, she'll listen to this, and I'm gonna say it to her: say, "Mom, I love you, and thank you so much for all of your help. Uh, you know, I couldn't have done it without you." Um, but um, so yeah, off off I went down to this flight school. Um, and in Spain for 14 to 16 months where you basically live in the south of Spain. Not um, a bad place to live, right? No, really nice, very cheap, uh, very nice people. Learned some uh, Spanish while I was there, which was great. And um, flight school was good. It, it was really, really good. It really, um, it really sort of matured me as well, going away from home properly for the first time like that, to, to, to go down and to be surrounded by aviation, surrounded by aviation people and to only be focused on aviation it matured me because I think if I had have not had that time when I was left uh, high school and worked in radio for a couple of years, if I hadn't have had that, I think I would have been too immature for the for the um, flight school. So going down when I was 24, 25, I think it was a good age to 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 um go and study the atpls although it wasn't easy it was it was it was quite um was quite a lot of stuff to do and you know as you know um integrated the integrated way of doing it is very um intensive and you're swallowing uh books basically to try and keep up with the pace of it so yeah, that was it. So then I went and did the flight school um, and uh, it wasn't easy, but we got through it and a lot of pressure. I felt a lot of pressure because of the sacrifice my mother had made for me to go there. So it wasn't Absolutely, easy. Absolutely, yeah. That's a, that is a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what they say, Justin? Pressure is for tires. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's a bad joke. It's a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny yeah. I was going to say uh, isn't it pre or diamonds are made under intense pressure or diamonds are formed from intense pressure or something like that uh -huh. so uh -huh. there you go that's a good one yeah. that's a good one 
<laughs> Pressures for tires. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> what did, uh, what was your mom? I know what was kind of your support system going through this? Cause like you said, there was a little bit of pressure there. It was tough. You know, it, it's hard. Like aviation training, it is a lot and it's a lot at once. And there's just so much going on. And sometimes you think you can never do it. Everyone has this one point in time where they're like, man, this is so far away. I can never actually become an airline pilot. What was the support system you had like? Was it very encouraging and very helpful? Well, I had um, one of my best friends, uh, Ross. He was actually also into aviation, but and he also followed the same career path as me. So he was a radio presenter and then he was um, a newsreader. So if I ever was stuck or ever had problems or ever was feeling down, I remember getting in touch with my friend Ross. And likewise, my mother was always there for me as well. You know, so there are points when you're doing your training where you are very low. It's constantly jumping over fences to get everything done. Oh, this exam is coming down the line. It's just, it is a huge um, amount of information to take in. And especially if you're not the most intelligent person in the world, like I, I, I would not say I'm. These people say, "Oh, you have to be very intelligent to be a pilot." No, you just need to be uh, switched on. You need to have be safety conscious, and you really need to focus on the job at hand. And you know, you don't need to be a rocket scientist. You know. Um. So yeah, the support mechanism. I suppose my mother and my father were both very, very helpful to me. Um. And my best friend Ross. Like it was nice to be able to talk to somebody else who had a huge interest in aviation, but wasn't necessarily there. You know. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's definitely uh, support systems. Are, I always say that support systems are pretty big and helping you get through this because, like we both talk about it, it's tough. It's hard. You're always going to find that one point where you need to talk to someone to, to talk you into keep doing this. Be like, no, man, you want this. Like, you can do it. That's it. That's it. And the other thing as well uh, with it, the course being integrated and I probably should have mentioned this first is that we had a class of 14 people uh, who a lot of them I still am friends with today and we supported each other you know in the class when you're together you're living together you're eating together you're flying together like it's it's creates like a camaraderie amongst your trainee pilots and so you're all there to help each other you know yeah absolutely and it, I always I, I just released a podcast today with a guy that I went to college with at Ohio State we're both in flight training and I always used him his name Anthony Pence I always used him as kind of like the baseline for my training like he was always there he was always flying he already had his private pilot license going into it so I was like all right he's here and I'm here this is what I need to do to get to this level so I always used him as motivation to keep going and to, to keep wanting to improve my aviation career mm, that's good that's good you know you, you do you need somebody like that and sometimes you look up to people as well you know absolutely what was um so you're going through your your integrated training and you're you're kind of a you're doing all the stuff you need to do, taking all the, the crazy theory tests that you guys all have to take. We don't have to do much of that in the States. Do thankfully. you not? Actually, I was, I, was, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about when I'm speaking to you, I, I really, how, our situation is and how we get into aviation is a lot different to you guys. You guys have to go to college from what I understand as well, do you? Um, they, major airlines, they would like for you to go to college. That's kind of being, kind of, I think in the future, that's not going to be required anymore. But as of right now, to get on, with kind of the big three and possibly Southwest, they recommend you have a four-year degree. Other than that, for getting like, you, they just want you to get your private pilot license, your commercial, your instrument rating, your multi-engine rating, your ATP, which is 1,500 hours. And then from there, you can get on with pretty much any airline that you want. And then the only limiting factor might be the four-year degree with Delta or American or United and possibly Southwest. But that's how we have to do it here. Our tests are based on private pilot license. So you have to take a private pilot written 
You have to do an oral exam and then you have to do a flight examination. And that's the same way for every single check ride. There's no other test outside of that. That's really interesting because when I joined the flight school that I went to, there was entrance exams where you had to um, pass their tests. Their, uh, they had mathematics exams. They had psychometric exams. They had these uh, exams where you had to fly uh, an airplane through a box on a computer, you know, and, uh, and the, the controls are reversed. So you can't really practice for it. It's, it's just like you have to do it on the fly. And actually, I forgot to mention this. When I first went down to do these entrance exams in the flight school, I because I wasn't so well studied in mathematics, I failed the mathematics part of the exam. So I would have failed that too if I had to do that. <laughs> yeah, maths is terrible, especially yeah. maths, especially when you have to do maths in public in front of people. I That's know, really right? difficult. Like, don't judge me. I don't know what that is. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and the more simple it is, the worse it is. But uh, yeah, I failed this. I failed this maths exam for the flight school, and I had to. Uh, disappear for six months and I was like well, they can, yeah, well you can try and come down again in six months and do it again and I was like oh this is such a bummer so I went back to my old job in radio and I got it uh, this is where I, I, I think people need to f- understand if you really really want something you have to really focus on it so for me I was stopped from getting into this really good flight school because my math- mathematics wasn't good enough because I didn't really take school that seriously when I was in school I do the bare minimum just to get through everything so when I was sent away and they said look you can come back in six months and try again I said okay right so I came back and I signed up to an adult education course in mathematics. And that's like a, a nightly course you did two or three times a week over the space of five months. And at the end of it, you get a qualification in mathematics. So I went to that and I basically studied my my ass off. And um, I went back to the flight school and then I passed everything again and I passed the mathematics and then they gave me a place. And so I started. So it was, it was like a little hiccup along the way, but I got into it and I, I, I uh, managed to overcome my lack of mathematics knowledge. You know, but as you know, the only mathematics you need to be a pilot is your three times tables. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's all you need. You don't even need that many of them. You just need one at thirty thousand, one for twenty thousand, and one for ten thousand. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, math is not my strong suit in college or in high school either. I was kind of similar to you. I was a little bit of a lazy student. I just didn't apply myself very much. Um, yeah, but everyone, like we talked about a little bit earlier, everyone faces their own individual challenges, and you are going to face a point, and it's going to come up in your mind how much. And how badly do you actually want this? You are going to have to find a way to, to power through adversity and you're going to have to find a way to continue to do this. And that's kind of like a, a necessary thing in this because there's always going to be a time and an adversity in the cockpit. There's going to be things that are thrown at you and you need to be a problem solver. You need to figure out how to get the gold done, which is the flight and safely do that. That's it. Exactly. And you need to be resilient. That's You just need to focus on the job in hand and and do it. And I think that's why... Um, I really enjoy flying because it's challenging. It can be challenging, but it's also rewarding at the same time when you know that you've really overcome some adversity to to get the job done safely. You know, it's very rewarding that way. It is very rewarding. You're you're absolutely correct. And there's nothing like like working like a team and getting through a, a situation and getting the job done safely and getting it done right. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So um, 
you're going through your training and we kind of talked about some things that you struggled with, but uh, I, I'm always interested in European airlines and how you go about getting a job in Europe. So did yeah. you, did you like just overall apply to everyone or how does that work when you're getting a job over in Europe? Well, <clears throat> we had the huge economic recession in 2007, 2008. Um, and I'm sure it was the same in the US. So there were there were not yeah there there were not that many jobs, and so um, you basically take the first job you can get when you get out of flight school. So I got out of flight school. Sent uh, the way it works in Europe is if you do your at the time if if you do your flight training integrated the way I did it, you have a little bit of a head start compared to somebody who did it modular. The airlines preferred. P- pilots that were trained in one lump sum in a reputable school as opposed to somebody has has done their PPL in one place, a CPL in another place, IR in another place. So um, a little bit of a head start in relation to trying to get a job. But for me, at that stage, when I came out of flight school, the market wasn't great. They weren't really looking for pilots. So I sent my CV everywhere. I sent, I, I, I got names of people in airlines. I was like, and I'm sending emails. Hi, I'm just out of flight school. Blah 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 blah. blah. Never heard it. Never heard a, t- a thing. And then um, one day, I got an email from Ryanair, which um, is like it's like Southwest, but it's it's slightly different um, in some ways. And I won't go into that right now. But yeah. Ryanair podcast needs to be a podcast on its own. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have enough time right now to go over everything that Ryanair does. (laughs) Exactly. So um, they basically offered me a position as a direct entry FO. Sorry, a cadet. They called it a cadet. So basically you join. So I finished flight school integrated with a frozen, no, with a multi-engine IR with an MCC certificate. So that entitles you to be able to do a type rating and get a job in an airline. I got offered this job in Ryanair when they weren't really hiring that many people. I was very, very lucky. I went for the interview. The way it works is they call you for an interview, um, a SIM check, and then you find out whether they're going to give you a place on the course or not. And if you are successful, you get... Uh, a date to start a type rating and of course you need to pay for the type rating yourself yikes so um, money, i remember money, money, the man. figure yeah well i remember the figure to this day like it was 27,750 euro which is pretty similar to dollar at this stage with the exchange rate so probably me a heart attack thinking about that right <laughs> <laughs> but for me i was i was um 26 or 25, 26, out of flight school, needed a job, um, was able to borrow the money for the typewriting. So I said, look, let's just do it. I didn't get a call back from anybody else. Let's do it. So I did the typewriting in Stockholm in Sweden and it was on a 737-800. It took about two months for the typewriting. And then we basically start flying as uh, in the right-hand seat in a 737-800 for Ryanair. And the training, I have to say, is outstanding. Like, you know, an airline that is able to have 1,500 movements a day and put a guy who's just come out of flight school, I had 169 hours total time in Piston. Dang. Right. <laughs> And I got into the right-hand seat of a 737-800. Like, 
just think about that. That's like, it's crazy the way it works here. And I understand the slog and the struggle, the way it has to be in the States. Like when you look at how I made the transition from a light aircraft into a 737, and then I, I listen to all your podcasts of people who um, have this struggle of in the States of having to do so many hours and then 1500 hours and then becoming CFI. And I would be like, my God, we have it so easy here in Europe. <laughs> It's definitely um, different. I mean, it, it's crazy. The two systems work in their own way, but they are so yes. different. It is just kind of mind-boggling. Like, if you ask it's anyone in their training right now that's listening to this and they hear that you were flying right seat in a 737 169 hours or whatever you had, <laughs> like, they would throw up. They'd be so jealous. But they also don't know how many tests you had to take. And, like, there's you had to do a lot of sacrifices to get there, too. Yeah, true. And 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 the the type rating I think was an expanded type rating where they give us a lot of sims and a lot of uh, training before we get into the simulator or into the real aircraft and then when we're in the aircraft we have a safety pilot behind us for line training and uh, with a, an experienced uh, TRE or uh, LTC in the left-hand seat. But it, it's a testament like you know in Europe there's a lot of people that will um badmouth Ryanair and and say this and that but I have to say like the training there was outstanding and like I did nearly nine years in Ryanair I progressed from being this 169 hour cadet to doing my command on the 737 when I was 29 and um, you know the training and the SOPs and the whole structure behind the, the, the company um, allows a pilot to progress and, and gives them that those skills and it has stood to me like I've went for I've went for sim checks after Ryanair with with other airlines and I've had two theories from the airline say wow and I, I'm like what's up when they go we can see where you've done your training before we can see where that you've come from Ryanair and I'm like is that a good thing or a bad thing they're like no 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 he said you know the airmanship is there the, the operating is there the SOP so that's a testament not to me but the fact that the company has really had I'm not sure what it's like now but they had really good SOPs and really good training for for guys especially if you can take somebody from 169 hours and then promote them to a skipper or as a captain on, on the 737 after a very short time and that's kind of needed if you're doing that kind of operation. You need very good SOPs. You need a very good training department in order for that model to succeed. So it's really good to know that all the tools are there for someone to succeed with a minimal of flight hours. Absolutely. You know, it's. It, I was just. I was just very lucky, and you know, the company is. The company is really. Uh, it's really doing well now. Well, I don't know what it's like now with the current situation, but it's doing well in training. You know. And one question I have, so in the States, your goal is to get that seniority number. Your goal is to get to that kind of major airline, the big three, Southwest, whatever it may be, and stay there forever. Now, you have flown for a couple of different companies. Is that different in Europe? Do you want to get with one airline and stay there and ride up the seniority wave? Or is it common for people to jump from, from Ryanair to British Airways to wherever they can get a job? No, that's not common, but uh, it, that is nice to have what you're talking about in the States. The goal is to get a seniority list. It's not so much, it was never really my focus here. Um, it is for some people. But I think the way it works here is you either are very lucky when you get out of flight school or, or you're very good um, and you get into one of the national carriers. You get into Aer Lingus, British Airways, Lufthansa, um, or one of the big um, airlines that has a seniority list. If you don't get into that, you have to start your career in a low cost airline like I did, which is which was Ryanair or uh, EasyJet or wherever. 
these airlines in Europe don't have seniority lists or sometimes sometimes they don't have seniority lists. And so you will sit in that company and you will aim to get your command because that's your goal then is to get your command. If you can't, if you haven't got a place in a seniority list, you want to, you want to progress your career the fastest way possible. And for us, it's to become a captain. So in Ryanair, I did nine years there um, I became a captain. I uh, knew the network inside out and I gained a, a, an immense amount of experience flying into crazy airports around Europe, like short runways, 30 meter wide runways, um, mountainous in the Alps, like really, really good experience. Like flying a 737-800 into Pisa and gusting winds up to 60 knots, um, doing, a cir- doing a circle to land on a runway that's 2,300 meters long with the 189 passengers it, it really makes you um a skilled pilot and gives you great experience but to get back to uh, your question and what you were stating in relation to the, the way it works in the states compared to europe yes i think if i had have gotten the opportunity to join my national carrier when i left flight school i would probably most likely still be there today here in europe it, it, it's a mixed bag so you can either be uh, straight into a national airline, you can get onto a seniority list and you can sit there fat, dumb and happy. But unfortunately, I didn't have that opportunity. I had went a different route. I went into a into a low cost airline and I progressed and as a captain and then I didn't want to give up my command because I I, I just I, I would prefer to stay as a captain. I, I find it more fulfilling. Uh, the money is generally better. Uh, yeah, so I, I did have the opportunity um, before I left Ryanair to go to my national carrier. And um, it took me, I think I, pl- I applied for the airline probably four times over the space of my career. And on the on the fourth time or the fifth time, I got the job and um, got the contract. I would have had to go back as a co-pilot. Um, I got the contract. And I couldn't afford to live on on the money they were offering me at the time. And it was heartbreaking because I really, like you spend your life as a, as a, as a, as a, as a young person going, I want to fly for my national airline. I want to fly for that airline. I want to, and then you have the opportunity, but because of financial reasons, you can't take it. Like that's the problem. You know, I w- would have taken a massive pay cut to go and fly for my national airline. And and I have to say it wouldn't have been a, a huge pay cut over the space of 30 years. It would have, at the, at the time I, I, um, I just couldn't afford to take it. So I, at the same time, I got offered the job at my national airline to go back as a co-pilot to join the seniority list. I was offered a job in Wear as a captain on a 320 with no bond, no payment, straight in as a captain, straight in with a seniority list and a number on this new Icelandic airline. And I was like, okay, let's go with this. Let's see what happens. And so I left Ryanair and I went to Wauer, up to Iceland. I remember getting off the airplane in Iceland and um, was with my friend. And I uh, I said, what the hell are we doing up here? The snow was <laughs> up to our chest. You like, know? What are we just do, man? Yeah, you know, I, I, I was actually, uh, I was talking to, um, um, who was I speaking to recently? I was speaking to somebody about the weather up there and we were saying, you were like, sort of just thrown into like this crazy, crazy weather. And we were like, 
well, are we crazy? I think it was my friend that was with me that day. I said, do you remember the day we stepped onto the tarmac for the first time in Iceland? We were like, what the hell are we doing here? This is crazy. But um, yeah, so the, I, I took the wearware thing. I, I, like, I know you, it, it depends on where your brain is at as a pilot. Like, do you want to go in and be working for a flag carrier, um, as we call them in Europe, um, or do you want to progress your career? Both have really good positives and both have really good negatives. For me, it means I'm moving around a lot, maybe if the airline goes bankrupt. Um, and if, 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 a, if a guy goes into a flag carrier, he has... Um, um, he has a lot of security behind him and he has a seniority list and he has the perks and he's generally home. And so that's nice as well. So yeah, absolutely. So when you made that decision, what year did you decide to go to Wow Air? Wow Air was 2017. Okay. 27. How long has Wow Air been around when you made it? Was it a brand new airline then or they've been operating for a couple of years? No, it wasn't brand new. I think, I think they either started in 2015. Okay. I think they started 2015 or 2012. Someone's going to kill me if they're listening to this. Can you Google it? Can you Google it quickly and check? I think it was 2015. 2015? We'll, we'll fact check it a little later and then we'll go back in. But uh, so okay. 2015, we think it started. And then 2017 is when you made the decision to go to Wow Air. And then was it 2018 when they shut down doors or was it 2019? It was the 28th of March, 2019, okay. last year. So almost all, maybe about a four year run for the airline. Yeah, which wasn't good, which wasn't bad. I think they were doing quite well. Um, we were told we'd get a, we'd join um, no bond, mo very good money, certain place on the seniority list. And um, they sent me to Singapore to do the type rating on the 320. Um, all paid for. I, I didn't have to pay for anything. So, yeah, it was very nice. And uh, straight in as a captain, direct entry captain on a new aircraft. So I'm going from a 737 to a 321. I'm flying medium to long haul. So from Iceland to um, the, the furthest we'd probably go would be the Midwest in the States. So Cincinnati, um, Cleveland, Detroit. Um, I flew all over the States. It was, I've always wanted to fly to the States. Um, and so it ticked so many boxes for me. That's cool. We uh, So when Wow Air was starting to make its push in Ohio, I used to live in Ohio. So I lived just south of Cleveland. I remember Wow Air was offering flights nonstop from Cleveland to Iceland for like $99. My wife and I were like, oh my uh, gosh, we should take that up. <laughs> we never did, yeah. but uh, I wish that we did in the time. And that would have been crazy if you would have been one of my pilots flying it. <laughs> I could have, could have brought you up front, but yeah, no, it was nice. It was so nice. I, I've seen so many of the destinations in the States. Like when I look back at my logbook, I use Log10, Log10 Pro, and I look back on my flights in Wow Air, and I, I go, wow, I actually, I flew to uh, Toronto, uh, see if I can, how many I can list. I flew Toronto, Montreal, uh, Boston, Chicago, New York, uh, JFK, and Newark. Uh, we flew to Cincinnati, Cleveland, Detroit, um, where else did I get to Cincinnati? Did I say Cincinnati? You did say Cincinnati, yeah. Which one hey, were, uh, of the ones you listed? Which one was your favorite? Does there like obviously New York is probably one of your favorites, but outside yeah. of New York, which one stood out to you the most? Hmm. I like Boston. I really like Boston. I was I was hoping one day I'd get Boston John. You know Boston John? No. He's a famous controller. Oh, and, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I've heard briefly of him, but no, I have not had Boston John. 
There's a lot of recordings on YouTube. If you look up Boston John, you'll see some of the stuff. I never got him. I was hoping I'd get him, but uh, Boston I liked. I like Boston a lot. I like the city. I like uh, the people. It's got a lot of Irish connections. I was going to say, um, it's a very Irish city for you to choose, so it sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, you go to Quincy Market. The standard procedure for me was when we land in Boston, we go to the hotel. We, I give all the crew their keys. And then the standard was everybody downstairs in 15 minutes. Good. Okay, great. So we'd all come downstairs, 15 minutes, drink in the bar. Where are we going for dinner? Oh, let's go to Quincy Market. Okay, Quincy Market. Straight to Quincy. And then we'd go for like uh, karaoke or something. Like it was just, and all of the crew went. It was an amazing, it was always in where we stuck together and, and the crew were always together for, for, for stuff, you know, like that. So... Yeah, Boston would have been my favorites. I don't know if that's uh, I don't know if that's how it works in the, with airlines in the states. I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of times crews go out with each other, and it might be different with international. But I think there's a lot of just hotels and people. I think it's called like a slam clicker. They slam their door and click on the TV, and that's all they do. Which is unfortunate because we get to see the world. We get to see some really cool destinations. Now, like I said, I never I don't really know much about international flying for the major carriers here, so maybe that's different over there. But I think it might be somewhat of the same where people just kind of like, oh, I've been here before. I'm going to shut my door and kind of watch TV. But that's really cool. That you guys stuck together and you guys went out and had some fun because you need to have fun in aviation because it's, it's, it's a lot sometimes. Absolutely. And I, I, I hate seeing people in the aviation industry and especially pilots. I call them uh, rocket scientists, right? Um, people who make the job into something more difficult than it is. Um, it is a difficult job. It's a challenging job. It takes a lot to get where we've gotten to. But it's, we should remember to have fun. We're people and, and remember to look after each other and to be personable to each other and to, to work on really good CRM. And, and, you know, I think it's important to include everybody, everybody from the ground handlers to the to the to the people you're working with you know it's very important that everybody works together in this business because we are responsible for a lot and you know you got to work together and you got to have fun and you got to be professional at the same time I, I actually remember we used to fly into baltimore quite a bit and got to know the ground crew and I had this, I had uh, this thing, and I still do it. I wear really funny socks when I'm flying. I wear like flowery socks. Or I don't do black socks or, or navy socks. I, I do flowery socks because I think it shows that you have a personality, and it shows that you're lighthearted, and it shows that you know it's just a little something on the side. But I remember, I think it was my second trip before Wearwear went bankrupt. Uh, I was in Baltimore and the ground crew in Baltimore, um, Henry and uh, the girls uh, that were working at the check-in disc, gave me a gift of Baltimore multicolored socks. And I was like, wow, this is so nice. This is so nice. And it just shows you, if you're, if you're kind to people, people will be kind to you, you know? Absolutely. And uh, I like your outlook that you have on the crew and to kind of keep it lighthearted because a lot of captains out to being a captain go to their head and it's their way of the highway, but it's an open conversation. It's CRM the whole way. So I think you have a great outlook on how to operate a, a flight crew. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's it's very important. I think it's so important, especially for safety as well. And I think the other thing is if, if you are a captain who is approachable, I think your crew will do more for you. I 100% agree. If you can be approachable and if you can have some kind of likable characteristic, they're more willing to want to work for you. It's kind of like we talked about with Wow Airlines or when you when you have a good community of employees, they're going to want to do more to make sure that this flight operates better. Where if you're kind of a, a 
dick and you're not very nice, then people are going to be like, well, I'm not doing that. He's not very nice, you know? Mm, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Going back to, uh, so now we're, we're still at Wow Air. So you've been there for, when we talked about when you got hired there. When, obviously when you got hired there, they were probably saying how great the airline was, how they're in perfect financial situation, everything like that. Mm-hmm. When did you start to realize that, hey, like this is, this might not be a forever thing? <laughs> Um, when we, I was actually on a layover in Chicago around Christmas time. And we used to stay in this really, really nice hotel in Chicago. The ambassador, Frank Sinatra used to stay there. And there was a rumor going around amongst the crew that we were not going to get paid on the Friday. And I was like, Oh, Oh, this isn't good. That was the first stage where I was like, okay, now I need to start looking for other jobs just in case it doesn't happen. But I made a decision um, there and then that I was going to stay until the, the the ship sunk. I was going to go down with the ship. I made the decision because it was a great place to work. That's how good it was, you know? So you're going to be a true captain and go down with the ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so, so was that... December, that Friday of 2018, and then it went out of business a couple months later? Then then there was, there was another th- uh, three months before it went. Um, but in the meantime, I, I had kept my options open with work, but um, I didn't have any firm offers, but I was just like, yeah, just drive on. Maybe we'll be okay. And you sort of you sort of go into this uh, whole denial thing in your head where you think it's going to be fine. Um, and you don't want it because you don't want it to, to to fail, you're sort of convincing yourself that it won't fail. But on the inside, you sort of know that something's not right. Um, but they started then doing ACMI flying, which is aircraft crew maintenance and insurance, where they basically, wet lease the aircraft to a charter operation and they were they had two one was in cuba um flying people from cuba to miami or Cuba to miami i think and then erwin which was flying people from miami to cuba and they were asking if anybody wanted to um do it so um, i was like yes look it's three weeks away it's actually a little bit time away from home but it's more money i'm going to get more per diems three weeks or two and a half weeks is not so bad yeah it's a different experience going to be based in miami we're staying in a nice hotel we've got nice crew yeah let's do it so i was asked if i wanted to go down at the start of march and i was like okay yeah let's do it so we flew to miami and we're based in coconut grove and in the month of march i flew a total of 17 hours yeah, it was really nice. The rest of the time was spent by the pool. Yeah. <laughs> Not a bad place and, to spend some time if you're going to have off yeah, time in Miami, man. It was so nice. And like the crew, we still have a, um, a messenger group on Facebook. We still stay in contact. It's like, it was like the last hurrah before the company went bankrupt. Um, really interesting. It was nice to fly into Cuba. It was nice to flying over the uh, Key West and looking down going, wow, this is really cool. Like, cause for me, I, I really like flying in the States. I, I love, I don't know why. It's like, it's something different. I think it's because I flew in Europe for so much with Ryanair flying to the States and in the States, it's just something different for me. And I really enjoy it. 
I love the controllers. I like I like the way the way the, the system operates. You know, I like the the very relaxed sort of uh, way the controllers do things. It's a lot different compared to Europe. So, yeah, that's what I've been told. I haven't had the opportunity to fly in Europe yet, but I've been told that in the states it's a little bit more relaxed, it's a little bit more chill. You know, you might get more direct, you might get more direct fixes than you do in Europe, and you. It's a it's one constant country that you're flying with. You don't have to deal with accents. You don't have to deal with anything. Yeah. It's just straight proper English. And it's, it's like it's I got uh, I got wow where blah 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 speed south. It's like speed south. Okay, uh, speed one eighty. Okay, yeah, great. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we fl- we flew we flew from Miami uh, from Santa Clara and Havana to Miami back and forth a couple of times, and the rest of the time was spent by the pool. Um, and we had a great time there and we were getting a little bit more money because we were getting per diems for every day we were flight pay or day pay for every day we were there. So I was like, oh, this is be good because I can pay off the credit card bill at the end. Um, and, uh, then around the 24th I, uh, of, um, March, I was doing a flight from Miami to, I think it was Santa Clara um, in Cuba and we pushed back in Miami or pushed back in Miami and then I got a text message from a friend of mine who said, call flight ops immediately, there's something going down. And I called the head of flight ops and said, listen, what's going on? I've just pushed back. I I do not want to fly this aircraft to Miami if we're going to get stuck there because the crew don't have any cash. We, they don't accept cards in Miami. We're not going to get a hotel. Like, so just tell me what's going on. Cuba, and he said, right? say again? Cuba. you said flying to Miami. You didn't want it, but you meant flying. I'm oh, sorry. Cuba. Flying to Cuba. Yeah, sorry. Okay. sorry. No, you're sorry, fine. I figured that's what you meant. I've only had one coffee so far today. <laughs> I usually operate on 10. Um, all right. So yeah. <laughs> what did, what did ops say? What was going on? Um, and he said, uh, what do you know? And I said, well, I know we're not in a good position. And he said, well, I can tell you if you fly to Cuba, you will get back, but you'll most likely be flying back empty. Um, So everything is okay for the moment. And I said, okay, fine. I I take your word on that. And he goes, yeah, no, do. I said, okay, fine. I I trust you. Um, So the FO said, what's going on? I said, look, I just wanted to make sure we were going to get back from from Cuba. And he said, okay. He says, is the company okay? I said, I don't know. Let's just focus on the job. Let's keep it safe. Let's fly there and see what happens. So, flew to Cuba. It was my it was my flight. Uh, flew over, landed, uh, which was going to be my very last landing in the three twenty one for Wellware. I didn't know it at the time, but it was. Um, touched down in Cuba. Taxied. All the passengers got off. Get a message um, saying you're going to fly empty back to Miami, and. Uh, we don't know what's going on, but call us before you land in Miami. Okay, great. So everybody off. We I actually took round trip fuel from Miami just so I could actually get out of Cuba just in case. Because, yeah, I was like, I don't like the way that this looks. We still have the credit. We can still get the fuel. Let's fill up. And then we know we can get the aircraft back to Miami. Um, so we didn't even need the fuel. We just, all the passengers got off. We pushed back, started the engines, and next thing I get a phone call from Ops after that we had pushed back. I said, "Are we gone, or what's the situation?" And he goes, "I don't know. We're still we're still scrambling to, to the plane. Some planes are um, getting stuck in different places, and at this stage, the the lessers had basically, I think they had clamped down on everything, and they have said they said." Um, 
they want their planes back, I think. So um, we had pushed back, took off, co-pilot was flying, went into the cruise, uh, co-pilot, great guy, Italian guy. I said, uh, I said, uh, dude, I said, this is probably going to be your last landing in well, where I can sort of feel it. I, I, I think this is it. And he goes, okay. I said, I'll tell you what, what, we've nobody on board. Let's ask any of the girls if they want to come in and sit with us for the landing. Um, the approach brought us uh, up by a key wet and then it was like a right downwind to land in Miami. And I said, why don't we slow down and enjoy the view? So we reduced uh, to 180 knots, uh, enjoy, told ATC, yeah, we're reducing 180, want to enjoy the view, and uh, we're ready for vectors whenever you want. So yeah, no problem. Yeah, okay. So we slowed down. Girls took photographs of the city. We all um, enjoyed the very last landing, and and uh, Edgidio, the co-pilot, came in, and he, uh, he kissed it on, and we landed. And then the crew down the back said, what's going on? I said, listen, we're all going back to the hotel. The last two sectors are cancelled. They don't know what's going on. Um, okay, fine. So we went back to the hotel. We all went out for dinner and a few beers. And the next day we got a phone call to say, uh, you're leaving the hotel immediately. We're going to drive you up to uh, Fort Lauderdale. And then you're going to fly from Fort Lauderdale to New York, where you're going to overnight in New York. And the next day you're going to get the Wellware flight from New York back to Iceland. The contract for the uh, charter is finished in Miami. So we're going to get you back. So um, we got up to New York and from New York, uh, we went to the hotel, the crew hotel, and then the other crew were there that were meant to fly to New York back to um, Iceland that night. And they were like, yeah, our flight's been grounded as well. And I was like, oh, this does not look good at all. So we all uh, sat around a table. We all had a couple of beers and uh, went to bed. And then the next morning, woke up at 7 a.m., with I think about 600 messages on my phone from friends, family, colleagues, um, the company is gone. And um, it was like, oh no. Um, I got up, I used the toilet, I went to the, went to the restroom and underneath my door was the, uh, was the bill from the hotel, which is usually paid by the airline, you know? Yeah, so they were, you had to pay for this bill? Um, no comment. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Or you're not allowed to go back to New York City, either one. <laughs> Maybe I'm not allowed. I, I don't think I'm allowed to go back to the um, Jersey Garden. What was the name of the hotel in Newark? Uh, I can't remember. But anyway, I, 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 don't, I don't think I'll be going back to that hotel. But, um, <laughs> That's funny. But like, uh, we hadn't, it was the day before payday. So we were due to get paid quite a bit for all of our per DMs for this trip in Miami. We were going to get our basic salary and we didn't get anything. And so everybody was quite upset. So uh, we all left the hotel. There was probably about 20 crew or 30 crew left the hotel, walked across the road to a coffee, uh, a coffee store. And we all sat down and everybody was hugging each other back when we were allowed to hug each other and kiss each other. Yeah, who knows like when nowadays. we listen to this or in the future, maybe we're not allowed to <laughs> hug each other anymore. That's funny. So Back in yeah, my day, so, we used to hug each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the old days and shake hands. Um, so, um, yeah, we all sat down and we're upset. We're figuring, I was like, what do I do? Do I fly back to Ireland now or do I go fly back to Iceland? And 
what happened was, and they were it was very nice of them, Iceland there, who was the national, it was their competition of Wow Air, it was the national airline of Iceland, where did the repatriation flights for the 200 and something crew that were uh, scattered all over the US. So That's they nice. flew us, yeah, so I, I, there was a direct flight back to Ireland uh, with Norwegian from Stuart, and I was like, oh, look, it's only 200 bucks, but you know what, I'm going to stay with everybody, stay with the crew, I think it's best that we're all stay together, and then you can see what's going on up in, in Iceland when you get there, maybe there's going to be meetings, maybe there's going to be support groups, so... Yeah, basically, <clears throat> I went back with the crew and one of the girls on my crew um, managed to get us upgraded as well. So it was very nice. Um, yeah, so we got back to Iceland, everybody upset, um, really weird feeling. It's like when, it, when an airline goes bankrupt and you're working for the airline, it feels like you've been dumped by a really hot ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I can take your word for it. Um, uh, Hopefully I never find that out for myself, but <laughs> I, I can sense that's how it would feel. Yeah. And, um, and so I was, yeah, I felt like a bit lost. Like you, you sort of, you don't know what to do. You don't know who to talk to. Your phone is really busy. You're getting, it's really weird. You're getting messages um, on Instagram uh, or on, on Facebook or from friends who are going, have you seen this? And it's a link to a newspaper saying, wow, has gone bankrupt. And you're like, dude, I, I'm still, I know that I'm bloody in Iceland now. Yeah, you know, like I'm living it right now, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really strange, and it's it's not a nice position to be in, especially financially. If you if you're living from month to month, like I I have a lot of overheads, and I have a family, and so you know I I. I Back then, and even now, I'm living from month to month. I get, I managed to save some stuff, but I'm still living from month to month. And when this happens, it's a huge hiccup in, in not just your finances, financial stuff, but it's a huge hiccup in, in who you are as a person as well, you know? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, yeah, we got back to Iceland. There was numerous uh, agencies came and offered us jobs all over the world. But the way it was, was none of these jobs were like wowware like you're still looking for your old job but it doesn't exist so um that's what happened with wow and and so i i did a lot of research online when i when i had the headspace it was like what do you do during a bankruptcy because obviously wow is not the first airline to go bankrupt and it won't be the last airline to go bankrupt touch wood it doesn't happen but you know what do you do as a pilot when it goes bankrupt and from what i gathered online is that you have two options. One, you are financially stable and you're able to sit on your ass and do nothing for two or three months while you get your head around the whole breakup. Or two, you get up off your ass and you get out and you find a job and you start flying immediately. Now, for me, I went and looked for a job and I, uh, I got a job as a contractor, which is not a great position to be in, but it's a direct entry captain job on a, on a 320 um, in Belgium. and. Um, basically flying 319s, 320s around Europe uh, for the Belgian, the, the national Belgian airline, Brussels Airlines, as a contractor. So you don't really have any financial, um, you, you don't have a place in the seniority list. You are just basically there to fill a gap because they can't train enough co-pilots to be captains quick enough. And so 
you're basically just flying around Europe. So that's the option I took. I just basically wanted to get flying. I love flying. Uh, I, I meet pilots who like, oh, I'm back to work. Oh, but if you don't like it, give it up and go somewhere else. Like I love flying and that's, uh, that's why I want to do. And, uh, you know, long, if I have a long day, um, I don't mind it because I'm doing something that doesn't feel like work because I enjoy it. You yeah, know, I completely agree. Yeah. There's a lot of people that treat this like work and that's a shame. Mm, yeah. I call them negative Nancys. <laughs> negative Nancys. That's a good way to call them. Yeah, that's for sure. Don't sorry be negative to anybody Nancy. Named, yeah. yeah or sorry to anybody named Nancy, but it just <laughs> rhymes perfectly. We also have uh, Debbie Downers. That's another one that Debbie people Downers, call Debbie okay. Downers. Yeah, so that's another good one. She's such a Debbie Downer. Yeah, but there are always women names. It's a no, it's a no male uh, version of it. I know, right? We we gotta stop being sexist with that. We gotta come up with a guy <laughs> one. That's what I'll, before this episode comes out, I'll try to come up with one for a guy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Equal opportunist here. Yes. What? Yes. Um. One question was so seeing the wow air thing from the outside, it almost seemed like it was a very abrupt decision. But you kind of knew the writing was on a wall for three months. Do you think the company? do you think the company could have done a better job when they were going through the, the disbandment and the bankruptcy of like keeping you notified and not maybe do it last minute like they did? Or do you think the company did everything they could and did it the right way? Um, I don't think I seen the writing on the wall for three months, just to, to, to correct you there. Right. I don't think I did. There were, there, there were rumors that we might not get paid, but we did get paid mm-hmm. up until the last three months. Um, what was your question again in relation to... Do you think Wow Air, because looking at it from the outside, it all seemed very last minute. Like here, like we just hear about how Wow Air is going to business. We don't hear all the rumors that you were hearing before, maybe what other international carriers and people knew. Do you think Wow Air did everything they could to inform you and to prepare you for this? Or do you think they could have done it better? Um, I think the problem is they were fighting their own battles. You know, the company is struggling to... Um, was struggling to maintain uh, the business because what happens is, and what happened in Weller in, in was the company is uh, making money. They're getting by. Everybody's getting paid. The staff are getting paid. Everything's fine. Airline is flying. The routes are good. Starting new routes. Everything's okay. And then you reach a little uh, blip in the system where a, a newspaper or an online article will, will report, oh, they're losing money and they're blah, 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 blah. And then it'll this negative um, comment will have like a snowball effect. And this is what happened towards the end over the last three months is that credit lines start to dry up because the people that are leasing the airplanes are worried that they're not going to get paid for their airplanes. The fueling and the handling companies are worried that they're not going to get paid. And it's a vicious cycle. And what happens is the airline wants to operate and needs all of these things to operate. But as soon as you take away one of these things, the airline cannot operate and so they can't make money and it's a snowball effect and then the airline falls apart. I think they were doing their best at communicating, but it's very easy for us as pilots to turn around and to say, oh, they should do this, oh, they should do that. Our job as pilots is to fly the air, is to fly the plane from A to B safely. That's our job. And I, yeah, and, and, you know, it's easy for us to put to be able to be mini managers and say, oh, they should do this, they should do that. Maybe they should do that. Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing this? We don't know. We're not management, as in we don't understand how this how the system works, how um how an airline runs. Really, we like our job is to fly the plane, and so it's it's it's. I think it's difficult to be able to say they should have done this or they should have done that. I think it's uh, it's easy to say that, but at the end of the day, you don't know what's going on in the background of most airlines. You know. 
Yeah, well, all pilots, you know, they think that they know everything. They think they know best. That's what we talk about on those long flights, how the company should do this, why I should be paid $20 million a year, why I'm the best pilot in the world, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I definitely agree with you there. And yeah, it's unfortunate. Wow, seemed like a great place. I mean, I had very limited knowledge of it, just pretty much from following you, especially in the last like couple of weeks and months of what was going on. And you seemed to have so much fun. So I was like, man, this is sad that Wow Air is going to kind of be disbanded. Um, so obviously you don't fly 320 or 319 anymore. So now you're flying the 340. Like you said, how long was it before you moved on to the 340? Well, when Wowware went bankrupt, I went to, um, Brussels airlines, mm-hmm. which is basically the, the national carrier of Belgium, okay. um, on the 320 and 321, but it's flying around Europe and it's flying that I've done before. And I'm like, Oh, it's great. It's nice to have a job. People are very nice, but, um, it's not really for me. And so I started to look around to see what other options I had. And so I had, this is funny how the industry works. It was a friend of mine who was a co-pilot uh, or a co-pilot I flew with in Wowware, who was now working for the company I'm working for. And I said, hey, are they hiring captains? And he was like, um, no, not at the moment, but give me your CV and I'll, I'll pass it on and see what happens. So a couple of months went by, nothing happened. And then I sent him another message uh, on the gram and I said, well, any more news on, on, on what they're doing? And he said, yeah, yeah they're hiring. I'll say it to the, the boss again. And um, he said, email, email them. So I emailed and the next thing I got a, a, an email back, very interested to, um, uh, very nice to talk to you. And we would really like to bring you in for an interview and a SIM check. And I was, I was so happy because uh, to make the move in Europe as a captain on a 320 to a 340 is very unusual. It's very, it's a very rare move. It's a, it's, um, it's like, um, it's like a, 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 something just really lucky. I don't know how I was so lucky, but it, I did it anyway. So I went for the check. Sim check was in a 737 with a really, really nice guy. And um, I was like, oh, the 737, a check ride in a 737. Oh, God, oh my God. I've got like 7,000 hours nearly on a 737. I should be okay for this. Um, and it went okay. And then they offered me a job. And um, it's, it's basically just a CCQ from the 320 onto the 340. So it was like five or six simulators sessions. That's intense. <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was, it's probably the luckiest move I've ever made in my life. I think career wise, um, to get onto a 340 as a, as a captain in the left seat. Um, well, I mean, let's me, kind of uh, a little bit about the industry though, you know, like you have to be right place, right time. And from the sounds mm-hmm. of the career that you've had, I mean, you've had some luck and you've had some bad luck. You've kind of made your own path in this industry, which everyone has to do with their own way. Like there's no set path to get to where you want to go. And you've had to move for jobs. You've decided to leave jobs to go somewhere else. And you took the chances and now you are at a job that, which I'm guessing you are happy to be at. So you can still be happy where you are. You don't have to be with a flag carrier. You don't have to be at a major airline. You can still be happy and enjoy your career. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, I'm just happy now, but it's very interesting times um, now with this coronavirus. Obviously, when when you release this podcast, you and I don't know what the situation of the aviation industry is going to be. And um, but all we can do is just stay positive and just see what happens from yeah, here on in. Really, that's all we can do. I mean, there is going to be an end to this eventually. The airlines will be able to. They might be different airlines. There might be a little bit of consolidation. I don't know what's going to happen, but there will be jobs after this. It's just going to take some time to sort it all out and figure out what's going on. 
That's yeah. it. Like that the day by it. day, though, like you said, when the time this comes out, we might be over, we might be cheering and just going back to normal life, or we could be hunkered down and in quarantine for 14 days. So <laughs> it's really a fluid situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Well, hey, Let's Greg, before, before you go, I want to ask you just a couple of rapid fire questions just because it's a it's fun. It's a good way to, to take our mind off kind of the, the terrible situation that we're all in right now. So are you ready for this? <laughs> Ooh, all right, man. okay, I'll give it a go. Now, just remember to say the first and quickest thing. You don't really have to explain. Just give me the answer and we'll go from there. Okay. All right, what is your favorite airplane of all time? Any airplane whatsoever. It could be light plane, corporate plane, or an airliner. A340. A340. What is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? I think you've said this before on one of your podcasts. I'm going to say the uh, Piaggio Avanti, I think. Definitely. I knew I liked you for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Here's one. What's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? God, that's a hard one. We can come back to it if you want. Okay, pass for the moment. All right, pass. Uh, let's see, I'll get you another easy one. What is your favorite? So let's say you are connecting on a flight. You have like 20 minutes to get some food. What's your go-to airport food? Uh, five guys, if it's available, there or butter, or orange chicken. Okay. Orange, yeah. I like it. What is uh, your favorite airline livery? Or do you like any of the ones from the States, or do you like uh, European ones better? Ooh... I like the, I like the States ones. Um, I like Southwest, actually. Yeah. It's iconic. It is definitely iconic. I like the newer one better than the older one. I don't know if you've seen the old brown one. It doesn't look too great. No, but the new no one I mean great. the new one. The new one. Yeah, yeah, the blue belly. Yep. Do you prefer long trips or short trips? Long trips. The longer, the better. What's the hardest check ride you've ever had? Uh, my initial instrument rating. Biggest regret of your career? Biggest regret of my career. Hmm. Not starting. A lot of people say they didn't start aviation soon enough. So maybe becoming or going for the integrated model a little bit quicker than you did, or maybe um, just something like that. I don't think I would have been mature enough, but so I don't think that that's the correct answer for me. Um, Biggest career regret. You don't have one that works too. (laughs) This is like an interview. (laughs) You don't say job interview. Job interview. Job interview. Yeah, I'm Um, I'm taking notes and I'm sending to all the employers so they have this on you. (laughs) <laughs> I tell you, okay, that's fine. My biggest career regret is not saving enough of my money for a rainy day. Ooh, that is good one. advice for somebody, I think. I like that. That's deep, man. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> what is the biggest win of your career? Uh, getting this gig on the A340 or or getting uh, the my first job with Ryanair. That was, that was um, essential in my career going forward. What's your favorite airport you've ever had to land at? Uh, Carnegie Approach JFK. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Follow the lights. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. What's the hardest approach you've ever done? Uh, Iceland, uh, go, uh, wind one four zero forty nine, gusting sixty two. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> All right, <laughs> landed Air- the second time round. Dang, Airbus or Boeing? <laughs> oh. Uh, is this is this. Do you want a quick fire answer? I'm gonna say a quick one. Air. I'm gonna say Airbus for All now. Right. Fair enough. We'll do that. I mean, I've never flown them, but some people agree with you. Yeah, what is, so I got two more. What's your favorite okay. thing about aviation? Um, the way it's different every single day. Okay. People think it's the same, but it is different. Every day is different. Very true. And I actually lied. I have two more now because we have to go back no to problem. the other one. But who is someone in the industry you would like to meet most? They could be living or they could have passed away. 
Um, Herb Kelleher, Southwest or Wicked Branson. Okay. And then last one, if you have an answer for it, what is something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Um, this is the question I passed on, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I didn't know if you wanted to come back. What did you say for that? What would you say for that? Uh, something I wish I knew. See, I don't know. I've never asked myself that question. <laughs> That's a, I've never had to been put on the spot. I'd like putting other people on the spot. Uh, something I wish I knew before I became a pilot, I would say that you don't have to follow someone else's route for success. So not the base, like you don't have to be in the States to being an American airline pilot, a Delta pilot or United pilot doesn't signify you having a successful career. You can make your own career out of this and have a happy career, whether you just want to fly freight, whether you want to fly corporate, whether you want to be a flight instructor or whatever, just find something that you like to do and do it and don't judge it based on being an airline captain. I, I think I think your answer is perfect, but like for me, if I had have known what was involved in getting the initial check ride and everything passed, I probably would not have done it. Yeah, because it's so much work. It's crazy. <laughs> it is. It's a lot of work, Absolutely. but it's worth it in the end. So I I don't know what I how I can answer that question for you, but that's uh, perfect, man. That's an answer. I'm just in happy I'm here. Yeah, that's an answer in itself. <laughs> Well, Greg, you have survived the podcast, man. I appreciate you coming mm-hmm. on and being so open and candid about your career in, uh, in Wow Air and the, the final moments of Wow Air and how it affected you. I'm glad you have found a new job and you found a job that you love. And like we said, we're, we find ourselves in some other turbulent time with coronavirus and how it's affecting the aviation industry. So, man, I, I wish nothing but the best for you. I hope this blows over and you find yourself flying that 340 and flying all the way around the country and going to some cool places. So, Greg, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks, Justin. And nice no to talk to you, dude. Absolutely. We got to stay in touch, man. All right. Aviation that is a wrap on episode number 102 with Greg Brown, Level Flyer on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope everyone is staying safe and making sure they're washing their hands and social distancing. If you enjoy this episode, like I said before, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. And please check out aviationcoronavirusnews.com for up-to-date information about how the airlines are reacting to coronavirus. The bailout has just been passed and it is going to be affecting the industry. We're going to see the effects and what kind of they need to give back for that money. So it's going to be interesting. Make sure to check that out. Aviation, I hope you have a great day. And as always, happy flying.